coaches. Today, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the CoachPad and CoachPad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, welcome back to our episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Um, today we have uh, Coach Dan Carroll, um, who most recently spent time in the USFL um, as the defense coordinator, Michigan Panthers. Coach, how you doing? Good, Nick. How are you? I'm doing good, my friend. Doing good. Um, and we'll kind of hit a lot of things between working in the USFL today and then uh, being a DC kind of for the first time in a, in a league. And um, I'll, I'll save getting to your head coach here in a minute because that's a whole, that, that, I think that's a separate topic. Sure. But what was it like? I mean, going from college to an up and start or restart or however you want to look at the USFL um pro league how how is that transition how is that experience with everything being in Birmingham this year yeah you know I look at it like a startup company you know I think that's how most of us saw it and that's kind of the vibe that that we we operated with and it, it was it was definitely an interesting experience you know I used to like when I was at the division one level and you know a lot of maybe when I was like a GA and analyst especially and people would come and want to meet with our staff and I'm you know Obviously, like the defense coordinator would meet with them, but I would spend a lot of time meeting with those guys. And what you would always get is this sense of like, you know, maybe it's a D3 coach or a high school coach. Like, I don't have enough time or help to, to handle this part and do this. And like, wow, you guys get so deep into these details, you know, and I, and I knew no other way at the time. And, you know, you, you bounce around a little bit and you get some different experiences. But then you go do something like the USFL where you don't have a ton of help and it's not a large staff like maybe I've had at Division One schools. And you realize, like, all right, and I kind of get what they're talking about, right? Like, there's a little bit of elements of we just need to, you know, we need to organize practice best we can, and we need to get as much stuff as we can get in and teach and coach. But some of the things that you do when you got eight, nine, ten assistants on one side of the ball are just not, not as feasible, you know, which is an experience I think you guys need to have, you know, because I think that it really makes you as a coach decide what's important. Now, now the other interesting tidbit is you got to work for Jeff Fisher. Um, what, and we talked a little bit before as we came on, but I wanted to save a lot of it for here. What was it like working for Jeff Fisher? I mean, Jeff Fisher obviously spent, God, 30 plus, 20, 30 plus years in the NFL. Um, what was that kind of experience? What did you kind of take away from Coach Fisher? Yeah, I mean, Coach Fisher is like, it's hard to describe. I think he, he is a, this is not a word I would use very often to describe anybody. He's like a cool guy, right? Like he is very laid back, but poignant on what he wants done and what he expects. Um, he's going to hold you accountable, but in a way that's understanding of your job and, and, and how it's got to get done. So 
he's really an interesting leadership style and just mix of person that quite honestly, I don't know that you see a ton of in, in football. It's a lot more, you know, like the anal retentive personality and, and people that are, you know, drive, 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 drive. And I think coach Fisher is a guy who with all the successes he's had, and obviously it works for him. He is able to push pause a little bit and say, okay, let's really figure out what we're going to do here. We don't need to, it doesn't need to be crazy. It doesn't need to be chaotic. Let's just figure out what we need to do to, to be successful, to try to win, to try to get, solve this problem, whatever the problem is at the time. So, you know, I think learning that from him and seeing that from a guy who's like you said, I mean, you know, most of us remember him as the head coach of the Titans. Right. Well, the job he had, I mean, he was the head coach of the Oilers for a year. Yeah. Right. And he was the defense coordinator for the Oilers. So that just tells you how long he was with one organization. And I think in the world of, of pro sports, of any sport right now, somebody that can stay with an organization for 20 plus years through a move, right? Get promoted from coordinator to head coach, move the team halfway across the country and still be the head coach 20 years later. I think it goes to show you just the respect that he commands and the kind of people that, um, you know, that he produces through his, through his teams. Now, kind of with that, I mean, you, you again, you, you spent quite a bit of time on um, division one teams and staffs as GAs, as quality control, as a position coach, and kind of going from there, your transition not only to professional league, but also to a, a defensive coordinator job. Um, what was that kind of transition like? And kind of what was your support system like? Because obviously it's not your typical college system and it's really not the NFL where you have 45 assistants there either. Yeah. So, you know, I'd been fortunate before getting there. I had called games at two different universities, but it never had been my my show. Right. I guess you could say like I never had a full offseason to prep a team and do things the way I would want to do it. And I think. The, I think the most important thing I try to do going into any new job or position or promotion or, or anything, any change is before it all happens, sit down and think about, okay, when this is over, what will I have probably learned? And how can we avoid that and, and head it off and do it before, right? How can we avoid making the mistake to learn that thing? Okay. And I, I think that I tried to think, okay, I, I come from a background of playing a lot of different defensive calls and, and having a, a broad playbook. And I thought, you know, we're going to have a limited camp. It's going to be about two weeks, two and a half weeks. And then we go right in the game week, we play 10 games and we have four coaches on defense. And one of them happened to be the full-time special teams coordinator. So I think going into it, I tried to slim everything down. Like, all right, I'm going to slim the playbook down. Okay. So I did not have too much defense, which I thought could be a problem, but then it turns out, I might not have had enough at times. So, you know, some of those little things is just like the scenarios that come up in a league where you don't really have experience and you really don't know, you know, what's going to be capable. I mean, we started out with 45 guys on the roster in training camp. We, like I said, we practiced I think 13 times and we went to game week and then we rolled for 10 weeks, you know, and, you know, 45 guys on the roster doesn't give you a lot of live practice reps. So I think that it was, the interesting experience was just, you know, how can you do more with less? And I know that's a scenario a lot of people probably go through. I think there's probably be a high school coach or two or lower level college guy saying, well, that's my life for the last 25 years, you know, <laughs> and it's true. 
It's true. And that's something that I think that everybody who's spent the majority of their time in division one football needs to understand is that it can get done. And, you know, I, I told coach Fisher, because it's probably right before the season started. And he was like, man, it's just, it's rough on you guys, man. You still have a lot of help. You're doing this, you're doing that. And I said, yeah, it, it is. The workload is kind of rough, but when we watched it, evaluate the first game, we'll probably have missed about the same amount of tackles we would have missed if we had nine coaches. We'll probably have blown about the same amount of coverages. We'll probably have dropped the same interceptions, right? Like the, what happens on the field is probably going to be what happens on the field uh, to an extent, you know? And I think that we have to, as coaches, sometimes lose sight of that. Yeah. And then kind of, I mean, obviously with that limited staff, I mean, when you saw, when you hit some of those hiccups and road bumps throughout the year, I mean, who did you lean on? How did you adjust? Because like I said, obviously you have limited playbook, limited. I mean, it's not like mass free agency in the NFL where somebody ain't getting done. I'm going to cut them and bring up something from the practice squad or there. I mean, you're limited on who you can bring in if there's an injury or something as well. Kind of yeah. I mean, when you were dealing with some of that, how did you react and who, where did you kind of pull from? Yeah, I think, you know, the the player part was interesting because you could sign guys. You just didn't ever had them on a practice squad. You didn't have them in training camp. You know, I think a lot of times the NFL, you know, if they go back and want to sign, need to sign a guy week nine, they sign somebody that they might have cut out of training camp. You know, they kind of been in their building, knows their system. Like, I might sign a guy, meet him on Tuesday, put him in the game on Saturday. And you just got to live with it, like what, it, what he does, he does. And, you know, you work hard to get that done. But I think you just, you know, you lean on the whole staff. You lean on just the experience of guys like Jeff Fisher. We had our team GM with Steve Kayser. He's, I mean, Kayser, he's been a personnel guy in the NFL for a long time. And he was also, he was like the special teams coordinator for the 85 Bears. So yeah. seen a lot, done a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of experience, right? Worked for Mike Dick at a whole deal. Coach Jeff Fisher, actually, at the Bears. So, you know, um, and our staff was really good. I don't know if you got some of your listeners probably familiar. Quan Drake was our D-line coach. Uh, Tony Brown, who was a pro bowler himself, was uh, our assistant D-line coach. And then I coached inside linebackers and was a coordinator. And Jeff and Mamura was our DB's coach and special teams coordinator. And it's just a lot of knowledge there and a lot of guys, you know, you lean on. And, you know, I, I think, too, a big difference in, in what I tried to do. And I leaned on the players a little bit, too, I think. I think that these guys were – adults and I mean there's some of the guys I coached uh there was a we have a linebacker um his name's Frank Ginda he was an all-american he played at San Jose State and he's played in a lot of different what they call alt leagues right like the AAF and some of these different leagues and he's played we estimated he's played between 7,500 and 8,000 live snaps of football since college started that's a lot of football yeah right? and, and he acts like an adult like he's like a coach you know we go to work together and I put my home, I put my whistle on, he puts his helmet on. I mean, that's just the difference, you know, and, and he knows the defense as well as I do. And he and I are trying to get the same things done. And he wasn't the only one. There were several guys on our team like that. And, you know, we had a kid named Sean Williams, who's a Naval officer, got out of his, you know, got a few weeks off of the Navy, Navy to come play football. And he was very similar. And so I think just because of the nature of the staff and, and where you're at, you have to, to have any type of success. Those guys have to take some ownership too. And they got to see it as, you know, they're not the player and I'm not the coach. I'm not the principal. They're not the student. We're just two two guys going to work together. And, you know, we, we need to help each other. And we need to kind of see the game from each other's perspective and help out. Now, now the other thing I noticed, because I, I, as I talked to you, like I didn't watch a lot of it. I would catch some stuff on YouTube when highlights would pop up and um, yeah. on some stuff. And that's just, that's just kind of how I caught it. Um, 
and that part of it is because my spring's usually pretty hectic with filming these and going to clinics and speaking and doing sure. fundraising and all that stuff. And um, the one thing I did notice is y'all got obviously you had your typical spread stuff that you saw, but you also got some of like the high school level stuff where I I saw some power tea, I saw some all kinds of just randomness. And I like I, I knew and just like looking on Twitter, high school coaches loved it. Like <laughs> There, there was a sect that that sect of power T coaches out in the Midwest that like it's like a yeah. cult or like in I heaven. Bet. What was I it? I mean, the spread part to me is the easy part to prep for. You know what to kind of prep for. But when you're getting in that like that power T or just the randomness, how how one? What was your first thoughts? And then two, kind of how do you adjust? Well, you, you know, the interesting part of that was most weeks we were dressing. 17 or 18 defensive players yeah so it doesn't give you a ton of flexibility to adjust to people going you know the P pittsburgh early in the season they got away from it because they had some injuries too but they were going they had a an eight offensive lineman personnel package they just had just center guard tackle 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 right and they're just jamming it at this five-man surface and i'm like i don't like if we bring enough bodies to match this personnel, I'm going to be playing corner if they decide to go to 10 or 11. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know how we're going to handle this. So that was a, that was an interesting game within the game every week. And it was like, you know, I would come in with the defensive staff and I bet here's the special stuff this week, right? Like, like it was Birmingham had the power T stuff. Yeah. And they had just started doing that before they played us. You know, we played, we, we didn't have a great record. We played it. Every game we played except two was within one score. And uh, the one team that really smacked us was Birmingham. They, they, they lined up, they played better than us. They played harder. They ran right over us, but they, they had showed that in the low red zone, that power T and they had just got Bo Scarborough. If you remember him from Alabama, yes. he had just came on the week before we played him and you know he looked pretty good. And then I didn't know how good he was going to get. I, maybe he's a little out of shape or whatever, needs some time to get in shape. And then they come and they start playing that thing up the field in the fourth quarter on us. And it was, they were jamming it right ass, man. And uh, you know, you, I probably we didn't have an up the field plan as well as we needed to for it just because it was never something that showed up up the field. So, you know, it ended up being a deciding, it ended up being important for him, you know, being a good, good call for him. And they ran the rest of the year, but you're right, man. There, there was most of the stuff was the stuff, you know, you're going to see 11 personnel run game, 11 personnel quick game, all those things that you always know. And then every team had this one or two things and you're like, Oh man. How are we going to match this up? How are we going to defend this? Like, we got to practice this. We don't really get enough practice time anyway, just the nature of the roster. And, you know, so, yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because that was – you got to have a plan, you know. You got to well, have a plan I, for those things. In honesty, I think something like that's good personally, like, because it made me click on YouTube clips. Like, yeah, when somebody said, hey, like, I got text, hey, Bur Birmingham's in the power team. Or like something like that, like you hear that, yeah. like, it makes you yeah. turn it on. Whereas I just want it like, again, you don't want to be a copycat product of the NFL. And to me, I think that makes it more like validating to coaches who watch it and you and do it. And um, like I said, at least that's my opinion. Um, yeah. Like what was, and I'm just, I'm really just curious. What sure. was like a typical, I'll, I'll, I'll do, practice schedule first then we'll do weeks so what was a typical like how, was, was there anything different about usfl practice or time than when you spent time in the college level well yeah i think similar to a pro model you don't really have a scout team you know you rep first 
you know, I think in the NFL between practice squad players and the players on the active roster, they got about 65, 70 guys out there. We had 45. So you would really, you had to service each other and it would be your twos and a lot of your ones getting reps versus their ones and twos running cards. So that was, that's one major difference than college. You know, I'm used to in the college game, you know, you do some in your stretch, you do some indie, you know, maybe when we group work on Tuesday and then, maybe throw seven on seven and then I'm taking my ball. I'm going down here. You take your ball, you go down there and like, we don't see each other until we call it up, you know, and everybody got their scouts and they do their deal. And he, and, you know, in the pro game, I think in the NFL, and then obviously in the USFL, it was much more inclusive, but you know, a practice schedule, you'd get out there and we'd go special teams. You know, coach Fisher tried to find ways to keep, again, the small roster, try to keep the guys, out of the Birmingham heat. You know, one thing interesting about spring football is it's the only football you ever played where it gets hotter as the season goes. Yeah. You know, like you, you, usually by the end of the season, you're cold. Now, the season, you know, the turf was melting in Birmingham in the June. Right? So, <laughs> you know, so we might do walkthroughs without pads. We get out there, specialists go, you know, everybody else is kind of with their coaches. We do a walkthrough once specialists are done, walkthrough without pads. Everybody goes, puts their pads on, comes back. You know, stretch it out, 10 minutes best teams, 15 minutes indie, one group period, and you're rolling team plays, and then you're done. And that's what it was, about an hour, 15, hour, and 20 minutes. And, um, you know, so yeah. that would be – you would really get a – you do a first and second down day, you do a red zone third down day, you do a day to time it all together, then walk it and then play it. You know, it's yeah. really, really what you were getting. Now, at the same time, like what did your week look like? Because obviously you go from being an assistant coach who's got these duties assigned by your DC or your head coach. So now you're the DC. So, how, I mean, obviously it's not your typical DBC experience because you're still limited on staff and right. so forth, but kind of what did your typical week in terms of prep look like for you? So, you know, I, I don't want to cop out. So I'm going to answer the question exactly. I stated it in a second, but there really wasn't a lot of typical because the nature of the TV schedule yeah. There were Friday night games, Saturday games, and Sunday games basically every week. So you might be a Sunday to Friday. Yeah. Or you might be a Saturday to Friday or a Saturday to Sunday, right? Sometimes we got, we were a Friday to a Sunday, which is a great schedule, right? You yeah. missed, you're off nine days, right? But if you had a typical week, you know, with one or two days off for the players, uh, the one nice thing is you didn't really have a lot of office space. So my bedroom in my hotel room was my office. So that was great. You know, you never had to leave. <laughs> felt like prison so like i'd wake up and just get rolling so like let's say if we were off the day after you know day after the game meet with the players do all that and then the next day the players are off so i had to handle the majority of the breakdown there weren't like gas and interns right so as i'm doing it i'm building the game plan right and then you know i get the breakdown done and get that done then i'd meet with the guys meet with the staff we would talk about it i would have you know 20 30 run clips 20 30 pass clips we'd watch together through the context of the first and second down calls that, you know, I thought were good. Right. And then some of those guys would bring me ideas. Hey, did you think this typically we're on the same page? Uh, you know, I thought we should maybe somebody liked the blitz. I didn't think about something like that. And then we would watch those base runs and passes, you know, in that context. And that would be like seven, eight o'clock at night. And I'd go back to my room and get them all carted that night. However long that took. And wake up next day, and then we'd meet for about three hours with the players. So you get about a two-hour meeting, hour walkthrough, and you break for lunch, and everybody get on the bus, head to the stadium for the first practice. And that would typically be like uh, first, second down, 
run game, quick game, move the pocket, that type of thing. If they did drop back on first and second down, some teams had some more drop back than, than others, you know, then you would do that. And then the next day, basically we would do the exact same thing that night after practice for third down red zone, take it in there. And on that last day, we would do, we would add in two minute, four minute, and, uh, you know, anything that might have been situational, like low red goal line, short yardage, you know, do that on the last day as we timed up all the stuff corrections from earlier in the week. And then the next day, you know, was a walkthrough, but we would actually, we would probably do, I guess that last day with in the walkthrough days when we would do two minute, when we do two minute, like in the game scenarios, go through all that stuff. So it's what it was. But, you know, the, the, the issue, the di- biggest difference for me was, I was breaking it down as I was building the game plan. I didn't get to come in like a college coach, like a college coordinator on Sunday and meet with the players. And then as soon as they get out of the building, all right, kick my feet up, grab the clicker and watch, you know, all their 10, all their 11, all their 12, all their short yardage, whatever it is. I didn't get to do all that because I was the one breaking it down. So it, it was challenging in that sense. You know, you're breaking it down as you're trying to build the game plan. Cause if you do it the other way or you try to, you know, and then if I got to break it down before the last game, you know, I'm just you're getting stuff jumbled in your head. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that could have done it and kept a clear picture in their head, but that wasn't for me. So I would uh, I would jump into it after the game. I wouldn't try to get started on it before the before the previous game. Okay. Now, uh, kind of before we move to one of our last topics is, I mean, what are you going? What, from, <coughs> what lessons are you going to take? I mean, you mentioned obviously having a bigger playbook, but is there like specifically like what are you going to take from year one going to year two? Since the, I mean, Fox has announced USFL is going to be back for next year. Um, and it looks like most coaches are coming back as of right now. So what is your kind of your plan going from year one to year two on how you're going to continue? Because like you said, you guys were within, like I, even before I talked, talked when we start talking and I was looking at the schedule, I'm like, you were borderline in every single game. Like it was within a, a score essentially. So, yeah, I mean, you're there. It's just, you're, I mean, <clears throat> There's things, minor things or little things here and there to fix. Where are you kind of looking for next year? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the first thing is we. I need to do. And, and look, I was conscious going in, so it's one of those things. You thought about it, you thought you were making the right calls and the right decisions, and it turns out it wasn't enough. But got to cross train more guys in the back end. I think that we, if you look, you know, and, and none of this really matters, but I think it tells the pictures. Through the first four games, we were the number one defense in basically every statistical category except takeaways. Number one rush, that's not true. We were number two rush behind Jersey. We were number one pass defense, number one total defense, number one points defense, number one red zone, number one third down through four games. And then we started having issues health-wise at safety and at nickel. And there were some other issues too. I mean, the, the offenses and the quarterbacks really started to click. You know, that's one thing. I think a lot of guys who go through spring football or fall camp, you know, at high school and college level, the defense is usually about a week ahead of the offense, right? Yeah. It just takes the offense a little longer. And that's kind of what happened in the USFL. Right? By the time we got to games five, six, and seven, the offense were rolling. And the quarterbacks had gotten a lot better. And those guys coaching those guys, man, had, had worked their ass off to get it that way. And, and so that was part of it. There was a lot of factors. But once we started having to shuffle players, it became difficult. So going in with the mindset that some of these corners might have to play safety, right? Some of these nickels might have to play corner, might have to play safety, whatever it is, right? Because just getting a guy off the street on a, on a Monday or Tuesday and, and having him go in the game on Saturday caused you to do two things. Either you have a big menu and we bust it, 
or we have a small menu and the other team figures it out. So I never struck a great balance once we started shuffling the deck with guys. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, I didn't give myself a lot of flexibility with the front. I felt like we were locked into basically being a four-down defense, played a little bit bare in the red zone, but we were locked into four-down rules the whole time. And I'm not saying we would make much wholesale change, but I didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, change-ups. I mean, I had some stunts, but not a lot of like true presentation change-ups. I think they could teams could put their guys wherever they wanted and knew exactly where our front seven were going to be. And I think that 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 was difficult. And I thought that would help us. I think it did early, but as the season went, I think I needed more options. And um, you know, didn't at times didn't feel like I got a great blitz plan either. So I think that some of the base down blitzes have to change, but uh, and grow. But uh, I think for the most part, man, like. You know, they're going to expand the roster for a fall camp. I don't know how much that's going to be. And then we're going to cut it down, I believe. So I think getting some guys in there and camp and, and teaching the system and kind of knowing some guys that are going to be out there that you could sign later in the year if you need to, I think it's going to be beneficial for the, the whole league, not just, you know, us or anybody, but just having more guys in the camps. And, you know, and it, it wasn't just us that had to do that. I'm not trying to complain or sound at all, but, you know, it was everybody that had to do those things. And I think maybe some other people might have did a better job of adjusting to it you know, than we did. But uh, I think I think I'll start with those things and just kind of see where it goes. I think, uh, you know, and it's always a personnel game, too. Like there will be a lot of guys that don't come back. You know, hopefully some of those guys that we coach get NFL opportunities. You know, they're, they're definitely they're a lot out of their USFL contracts if they get that. Uh, NFL opportunities hopefully they get that um, but some of them are just kind of probably looked at it as their last shot too you know and yeah. they won't be back so so the biggest thing is going to start with you know evaluating guys coming out of college and guys that aren't you know getting cut off NFL rosters this year and whatnot and seeing you know seeing where we can improve okay now the, the other thing you wanted to talk about when we were shooting back and forth ideas on this is how you teach run fits um yeah. How, how do you like I'll just I'll just get into it like how, how do you approach teaching run fits um, obviously that's I mean to me that's that is the bigger thing when I talk to defensive coaches and I talk to my staff it's kind of like run fits are kind of the thing and, and run fits very a little bit depending on your level um, I think you can see that by the boxes and the box structure as you go up like that's why half of college football can essentially almost borderline play a th three one three two box against some offenses because one, you have really good athletes, but two, just your box rules kind of, I mean, how do you teach run fits? Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of uh, a thing I think, you know, over the, over time and over the years of working for a lot of different people and, and a lot of terms that came in. And uh, I think that I tried and it's kind of started when I was in New Mexico with Bob Davey and, and Jordan Peterson's defense coordinator. And, tried to teach the structure to the players and you know kind of I guess what I mean by that is I teach three categories okay so we're in a plus fit we're in an even fit or we're in a minus fit and what that's telling like the inside linebacker is really telling the whole defense but the inside linebackers learn it first it's like and I, I got a little diagram and stuff I'll pull up here in a second but a plus fit is saying that we have an overhang on each side of the box Right. We got let's say we're in quarters. Right. We're using the nickel to passing strength and we're using the boundary safety. OK, so you can spill the ball either side. 
Okay. And then if we're in a plus fit, we should always have one extra for the quarterback. Okay. And we'll talk about kind of how we get to that. Um, and then if we're in an even fit, you know, think like weak rotation cover three, right? Now we don't have the nickel, but we still have the boundary safety, right? He's still in there. He's going to come down and play. Okay. So now the one of the backers, in that case, the Mike has to be the box, what I call the box force player. Okay. So they bit pick up and pull guys or they run power. He's got to knock it all back. And then the down safety is the box force on his side. And then the will's the fill player. Okay. And then if you were in a minus fit, which is not something you're typically in first run, it would typically be like a third down. Okay. So like I say, it's cover two, like everybody's in cover two. We're not counting any of the cloud corners or anything. Everybody's in carries. We're playing like a third down or even call it two man might be the easiest way to, to think about it. Yeah. Um, Cause everybody's got different cover two rules, but like if you're in two man, you know, whoever has the vertical carry, like the tight end, uh, that guy's got the D gap. And then the other guy's got the A and B, right? He's got to be a two gap player because it's you're minus out. You're, they have one more gap than you got got. You know, the one thing I, I do try really hard, I think that, that to make the main thing for me, you know, as a coordinator, as a position coach, it's always how are we going to teach this? Okay. Because there's a lot of great schemes and there's a lot of really good techniques. But if we can't get it taught and get the players to do it, then it, it, it's really, it, it really just doesn't matter, right? And if and the other part of, of this that to me is so important is that they have to do it so fast and so repetitive, and you can't make you can't mess up, right? It's got to be consistently. Like when we call this call and they run this play, we got to get what we're expecting to get. So how do we put it into buckets and how do we shape it into a way that's easy to learn, easy to repeat and easy to repeat fast? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and once we can do that, you know, I think that I think you've got something going there a little bit. And so, you know, if, as we look at this, okay, right. Plus fit. Okay. So both linebackers are fill players, what I would call fill player, which a lot of people just say it's a spill player inside out in the ball. Okay. Whatever. Okay. All right. we got a box force player on each side. Okay, think of generically just think of quarters, like plussed out quarters. We're going to play palms to a slot so we can get the nickel back in the run fit. And if the free safety's coverage is in the box, he's going to be in the run fit too. Right? Just says tight end over there. Okay. Uh, you know, and this is if we get direct flow for the inside linebackers, they'll play fallback fits, right? Because we're falling back because we're going to try to get the extra guy, whoever the extra guy is, the overhang is to the side of the back, he's going to be on the quarterback. Okay, so that's why we got to play fallback fits there. And that'll come, that'll be different as we move on, right? And then fast flow. So any type of outside run or all pullers, right? All the backers scrape and spill, right? Backside backer punching cross blocks. He's got to stay behind the ball, but he can cross the blocks. He don't have to run through uh, behind the double teams like he might in even. Okay. And then we'll go from the diagram perspective. It's what it kind of looks like. Okay. If you look at box A, okay. So we're in a plus fit. We're counting the nickel in the free safety in this scenario. We're just in regular quarters, right? Regular quarters. So the tight end sliced back on this scenario, right? Free safety have to fall into the A gap. The nickel would set the edge, right? Uh, Mike would keep falling, or excuse me, yeah. Mike and nickel would both end up outside the slicer, one for the D gap, one for the quarterback. Will falls back to the B gap, okay? So that's how, that's why I say we're plussed out right there. Okay. We got one on each side of the box and we're at home because it's two backs, right? We're 30 up with the backers because we're going to end up fitting off wherever that wife fits off, right? We're both off him. He's going to dictate. He's the tilt. 
right? So then you go to box B, right? I say boss over here, right? Backers over strong. Mike's in a 50, right? He's going to be the D-gap player, okay? Uh, excuse me. He's going to fall back to the A-gap here. Nickel's going to be a D-gap. Will's going to squeeze great free safety. He's going to be extra for the quarterback because that's based on where the back is, right? And then boat over here. We're over to where the tight end is on the side in box C, okay? And then in box D, Mike's in the open gap. Okay, and we just call that a mic fit. Mic fit, mic fit, right? And then if that ball got ran in box D, Nick would fit back in the B gap. Yeah. Okay, but the point is, right, that I could get into a plethora of different coverage structures, okay, and just tell the defense it's a plus fit. And the backers would know we're a rock and fallback operation. We're always going to have extra for the quarterback. So, you know, we could play on this backside. We could play an inverted half, right? Free safety down, corner high. Okay, do something like that. Okay, we could do any number of things that would put us that, you know, from a covered structure and say, all right, we're in a plus fit. I've even played it out of a true cloud to this side. Like if you look in box A, we could be in cloud there and count the corner in the run fit. Okay, now to do that, we'd have to cut the front because of tight end slice back. You don't want to put the corner in A gap, whatever. That's, that's not something good, but whatever you got to do with the front. But just so that everybody understands the plus fit structure. So you can make adjustments and change calls, but the backers, the front, and most of the guys' jobs will stay the same, right? So, hey, it's just plus, plus fit rules for you, okay? And guys will be like, I'll be like, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to make this quarter's adjustment off this slot. Oh, Coach, what's that change? Nah, it's just plus fit rules for you. All right, bet. Done. So they learn it that way because it's, it's versatile, right? And we keep it in that plus fit category. So, you know, this allows us in every scenario to get an extra one for the quarterback when we're in any plus fit. So even fit rules, okay? One linebacker is a fill player. The other is the box force player. And the other force player will be a DB based on the coverage call. So I'll take you through it as week rotation cover three, but it could be a lot of things. We're actually in an even fit in too high a lot. So, you know, when I first started thinking about this stuff, and, and, and trying to streamline how to teach us teach these structures to the linebackers, especially, I said, well, it's one high versus two high fits, you know, but it's really not. I know in quarters, typically, if you're fitting quarters certain ways, you're going to fit it as a, as a plus fit. Right? That's a lot of times the purpose of quarters is to stop Q run and helps on RPO, right? But you might be in too high and play cloud somewhere, and you might one day want to count that corner in a run fit and cloud. And one day you might want to not count them in a run fit. So, you know, I think that being able to separate the actual run fit from the defensive structure, just because you're in shell coverage, doesn't mean you're going to be a plus fit just because you're in, um, you know, just because you might be in two on each side, doesn't necessarily mean you're in a minus fit. Okay. So I think that a big part of this, I was trying to teach it as, you know, too high, one high, and it really didn't jive with all the possible adjustments you can make. So that's why I tried to separate these things. So when you go to an even fit, right, you know, you get direct flow there from this, from a backer perspective, we're going to smoke gaps. We're going to blow right through the gaps. Okay. It's just like playing cover three. You've probably seen that uh, a million times in football. Somebody's in one high single gap defense. They run the ball. It looks like double backer plug. And that's what it should look like, you know, and then fast flow, the force backer, 
you know, he's got a box blockers back to fill backer and fill backers got to scrape and spill and stay inside out. So, you know, that's just your normal, like cover three or even man, most man, high rat, low rat type fits are just like that. Right. And then we'll talk about the alignments here in a second, but um, I thought too, and I found it is so important to teach, to name your alignments. Okay. So we're talking about even run through, right? This is all um, over three from the perspective of over cover three. So you talk about box A, you're, you're spinning weak. Free safety's down in the D gap. Put the will in the 20. He's got the A gap. Put the mic in the 40. He's got the B gap. Okay. And I name that gap alignments. Okay. You could name it whatever you want, but just for it to have a name, because I think it's so important to communicate those things, you know, backers and safeties communicate those things as as the, as the plays line up and just because just alignment, you know, so many times it's so critical. Uh, you line up and somebody is, you know, a foot too wide or two feet too wide and they just don't quite get to the guy. And, you know, I, we gave up a touchdown this past season, a very critical situation because the guy was lined up probably two feet too far to the right and he missed the tackle by about a foot. And, you know, truly a critical situation to be, to be misaligned. And so you go to box B, now, anytime there's three by one in an even fit or the threat of three by one, which you'll see in box C, right, we'll slide, right? We'll make room. We slide to make room for the free safety in the box, right? So you see out there the mics in the 90, the wheels in the 10, free safeties in the 50 to play the B game. But so the point is, right, it's not necessarily, I think everybody understands those concepts, but it's name it, okay? Name your alignment. That one slide for us. So it'll be like, hey, slide right, slide right. Now the free nose, all right, my gap's inside the box here. I'm coming down weak. I'll be in a 50. Yeah, I sometimes played him in a 40, just depending on based on where the back is. Back to him, it probably should have been a 40 right there. But, you know, again, even run fit, support on one side of the box. So they pick up and run power there. Obviously, Mike's hammering it back to the wheel. They run power to the tight end. They bring counter back this way, right? Free safety's got to hammer their second puller back to the wheel there. And Mike's got to play the cutback. Now, one difference, right, when you get gap schemes, if they ran power back here and we were in a plus fit, right, so go back to the plus fit world quarters, I would tell this guy, he scrapes and spills, and as they come off that double there, that might can punch and cross because he's got to be tracking to cut off the drastic cutback, right? That's in a plus fit. Now, if you go back to an even fit here, now I'm telling this guy, this Mike, he's running through this. Okay, because he's the cup, assuming he can do that and stay behind the ball, right? If the ball doesn't make it over there, then he can't do that. But I don't want them to lay on that double team. So he got to be aggressive one way or the other. So if we're in a plus fit, he's going to be able to cross that double team over there and then let the nickel, if the ball winds back drastic, the nickel would cut it. But in an even fit, I tell Mike, he takes that run through because I don't want those guards thinking they can lay on that three technique. And then playing D line's hard enough. Okay. You can't be getting 600 pounds every damn snap on you, right? Two, can't get two 300-pounders. So that's one thing in a gap scheme, like in an even fit. You know, the mic, the, whoever that backside player is, they got to play it different, and they got to understand that, right? So that, that gets a little – I don't know if it gets confusing. I mean, again, this year I was dealing with guys who have at least played four years of college football plus, and it was relatively easy for them to understand some of these things. So, yeah. Um, so big difference there, defending gap schemes in the plus fit versus an even fit. Okay. 
And then obviously the biggest difference here is you don't have an extra for the quarterback, right? Whoever has, so, you know, for us, if, if, if in this picture right here and that tackle is going to veer down, the mic's going to pump and that tackle is going to veer down and he does that for the dive, quarterback pulls it, the mic's got to come out and, and the mic's got the D gap now and the Q, right? That's the biggest difference. Like when you're in quarters, we're in a plus fit, like the first one I showed, you know, that mic would all have that nickel outside of me if this was the play. You know, he could sit tight for that D gap or C gap rather and use the nickel. But, you know, you don't have that option in an even run fit. So, you know, I think when we're game planning and when we're talking about what we're going to call and when we're going to call it, this comes up a lot. Like, hey, what calls are going to be good on first and 10? Well, there are a lot of zone read on first and 10. So we want to be in plus fit calls. So what do we have that we like that's a plus fit call? Well, you know, we're in this version of quarters, and then we got this version of quarter, quarter, half, where we're inverting or whatever, right? Okay, good. So those are all, everybody, everybody's good with that? Those are all hot for first and 10? Yeah, those are hot. Okay. So I think, you know, and that's a way that, a language that we've kind of developed where we talk like that, so we kind of understand from a run structure when we're clear to be in these, right? Now, you know, obviously, even run fits for me, a lot of people will say, and I get that a lot, like there's a lot of, especially pro guys that think this is the best run defense you can be in right here because everybody's got a gap and they just fire in there. But, you know, if there's threat of Q run, I don't think that. I don't agree with that. I don't think – I think that the quarters system is better. And, um, you know, if we're in gun run, you know, be, I, I get it. There's the, One of the guys who has a primary gap is 10 yards deep and not five. And that does make a difference. Don't get me wrong. That is a, that is a definite difference. If they run right at his gap, there's probably going to be a difference. But just from a structure standpoint, a number standpoint, you know, even run fits or something you don't want to necessarily be in if you're playing Lamar Jackson and he's about to pull the ball and run around in because you're going to put him one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And I don't want to be one-on-one -on -one when their quarterback's the best player on the team. So, again, you know, I can talk about this stuff a, a long time. Uh, I, I, I will kind of give the nuts and bolts because it's more to show how we structure it and just that there is a way to structure all this than it is what we actually structure. But so if you go down to box C, and like I said, we will always slide the three by one or the threat of three by one. So I want to be in slide alignments here, 50, 10, 50 with Mike Will and free safety because of the threat that he could do that. Okay. So we would get in that alignment. If that happened, obviously he would stay inside of it. He would set the edge on it. He'd fire back in there and then he would fall back in there. Right. So if he stayed front side, okay, then the fit would look exactly like this one up here does, right? He would just get down in there. We'd be in there and there, okay? But we will always slide if there's the threat of three by one. So definite three by one, slide a line. Mike's got to play the widest gap, okay? If not, you know we can get in here and then just we're all off the tilt of the Y. And then if it's, you know, a 10 personnel picture, it's gap gap. Okay. Now where this stuff gets good in college football. Okay. This is weak rotation three. Everybody sees that it is I'll piss in a too high defense. Okay. Or maybe we're going to play, let's say we would bracket this guy or something here. Okay and play like a dead quarterback here, okay? It's still the same run fit. 
It doesn't have to be cover three. All right. So my point with all this is we might go into a game and be like, hey, you know, we're playing palms right here. Okay. We're playing palms. We're playing palms. This guy's starting to kill us. All right. All right. Now we're going to turn this into a quarter flat technique and the nickels got into the flat now, whatever it is. Okay. Now, all I got to tell everybody is, hey, we're going to play a different coverage call out there when number 10's in the slot. Now it's going to be an even run fit. So now everybody knows, all right, different, okay? So the D-line actually knows too, right? This guy knows too, you know, all these six techniques know, okay, if it is me and the quarterback, I'm not going to have help, right? I got the C-gap in the quarterback, and we actually will play him. Um, if he does have help, like in a plus fit, he would be uh, cut back to quarterback. If he doesn't, he's quarterback to cut back, okay? So, you know, he'll know that too. He'll be tied into that too. Now we named the front different. I don't expect him to know coverage concepts, but so we'll name the front different just so he can be alert for it. But the point is I can make those adjustments. We can go into the game thinking that that call, whatever that coverage is going to be, is going to be a plus fit. That's how we're going to fit it all. And then all of a sudden we got to take the nickel out of that fit, right? Because this guy's hurting us. And now we just tell these guys, instead of, oh man, we never practiced that. We can't get that done. Hey, man, this is an even fit. It's just going to be like week rotation three. Just get that done, right? And that is where giving us the flexibility to really make a lot of adjustments, I think it was really good for us just, you know, being in the game and being able to say that and the backers understanding what's going on instead of having to go redraw the plays and say it's going to fit just like this or like that. Like, nah, was a plus fit. Now it's an even fit. Let's go play. So, you know, so, you know, we do that a lot. We play a good bit of cloud here and quarters back here using him in the run fit. So if you did that in this picture, right, we would say he's in there, he's in there, off the tilt, he's in there. Cloud over here, he's in a dead quarter. So, you know, just being able to make all those adjustments as they go. Then you go to a minus fit, and that's just saying we got no support players. Right, probably a third down coverage, right? Third and medium, third and long type of coverage. Um, and then if you just look at it like here, whoever has a vertical carry, and this these rules make sense for the stuff that I do, and they might not make sense for everybody because it's a little bit hairier, but like in box A, the Mike's got a vertical carry, so he would have to play any run that came in the D gap, and then the will would be B to A. You know, and then over on the other side, the will's got a vertical carry, so the Mike's got to be the B to A player. But uh you know, I, I do think that it is important to try to stay run sound on third and medium, third and long. I think sometimes that, you know, we get a little crazy calling some wild games. I'm, I'm the worst at it. And just just getting wild on third down to try to get those sacks and get off the field and somebody sticks a draw or just an inside zone in there against you and splits you. And it's like, yeah, we never really talked about, you know, <laughs> keeping that ball boxed or, you know, what, whatever the case may be even if you don't rep it very often, because you can only rep so much, but at least if you have a plan for it and a rule for it and the players kind of understand it, you know, at least you have a chance to stop it, you know, if you haven't repped it, as opposed to coming off the field and being like, yeah, that's what we need to do, guys. That's on me. Like, I hate saying that. So I don't want it to be on me. So, but no, that's the, that is the premise right there. And that's just the categories that we try to keep it in and, you know, how we structure it and teach it. And I think that it has been successful for us as far as getting the guys to understand it, uh, being clean with the language and verbiage, naming the alignments, and guys uh, understanding kind of where they fit based on you know alignment and 
you know, who's who's around the box and who's getting counted in the run fit. So. Coach. Now, I mean, kind of when you're, I mean, college and pro guys are a little different than teaching high school guys, obviously. But kind of like, well, I mean, when you're teaching each of these fits, is it just when you install each coverage or is that how you group your coverages? Like when you're looking at doing these run fits, how do you teach, like how do you package these run fits from a teaching process? Yeah, so in the uh, in the USFL this year, <clears throat> we had like three days of meetings and walkthroughs before we started actual practice. And so I did brief overview of everything. And then the first day of actual practice, I taught the run fits before we talked about any coverages. So that way, when I went back to the coverages, I said, okay, this is cover four. It's going to be a plus fit, right? We just talked about plus fits. This is who's in it. This is in it. Now, in, in the college game, with, on a college calendar, I would probably, I think that, you probably have the most success coaching and teaching the fit as you're teaching the coverage yeah. and trying to get guys to understand this is quarters. It is a plus fit. We may, we will have other coverages and adjustments that can be a plus fit. Right. So this is not the last time you're going to hear that. Right. So these techniques and these, you know, these different reads and, and however, you know, we're structuring this is going to show up again. Right. And we should be able to say, hey, this is a plus fit and we should be able to get the exact same thing in those run fits that we're getting in these ones. You know, and I think. Um, I think you do that over and over again. And you know, it becomes uh, becomes relatively easy for the guys, I think. Perfect, coach. Well, coaches, uh, give coach a follow on Twitter. His Twitter will be in the bio. Um, make sure you like, share, subscribe. Um, and then check out Coach Pat, our sponsor, as always. Um, otherwise, that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer pod, uh, podcast. Ugh, I can't announce it today. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate it, Nick. Thank you.